Welcome to The Bit, where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing investing. I'm a new host of the podcast, Teddy Bunzel. We're continuing our mini-series on our outlook for 2021. On our first two episodes, we set the stage with our global outlook and what it means for the stock market. On our next three episodes, we'll home in on each of our three themes for the year ahead. Today, geopolitics. The COVID-19 crisis continues to profoundly shape our geopolitical environment. We've seen heightened U.S.-China tensions, accelerating inequality, and companies revamping their supply chains. Scott Teal discussed some of these dynamics during the first episode of our miniseries, when he touched on the theme of globalization rewired. Today, we're diving into geopolitics with Tom Donilon, the chairman of the BlackRock Investment Institute and former U.S. National Security Advisor. We'll talk about how COVID-19 has changed the international landscape, the impact of the Biden administration in the U.S. election, and what he's watching out for in 2021. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Chad. It's great to be here today. So it's safe to say there's a lot going on geopolitically. We have a new administration in the U.S. U.S.-China tensions remain heightened. The threat of climate change is becoming more prominent. But to start, Take us a step back and talk about how you believe the COVID pandemic is affecting the geopolitical environment right now. Well, COVID has been you know, the most difficult and multifaceted public policy problem that the world has faced since World War II. It has obviously health elements to it. It has had an economic element to it. It's had governance elements to it as well. So it's been a tremendously challenging public policy challenge for the world. And countries have dealt with it differently. I think in terms of the question that you ask about the impact of COVID, I'd say three or four things, Teddy. One is that I think overall COVID has accelerated or exacerbated a number of existing trends that we saw in the world prior to the virus coming into the world a year or so ago. Second, I think that one of the principal impacts it has, which has been to accelerate the bifurcation of the global structure, where what we have today, I think, emerging are two poles in the world, with the United States at one pole and China at another pole, with elements of intense rivalry between the two countries, some areas of cooperation, hopefully, and where countries on some issues are being forced to choose. But we have clearly seen a bifurcation. It's been most clear with respect to economics, I think. Third is that you would have thought that a health crisis would have been an impetus for greater international cooperation. That has decidedly not been the case in the case of the COVID crisis. Now, you saw cooperation in the 9-11 crisis. You saw it develop clearly after the great financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. But there hasn't been the kind of thrust to international cooperation. Indeed, it's actually pushed countries away from each other in many respects. And even in the height of the Cold War, the Soviet Union and the United States worked together to eliminate small parks. Uh, and indeed, COVID, I think, Teddy, has exacerbated with respect to U.S.-China almost every element of the U.S.-China relationship over the last year, beginning with the recriminations right at the outset around the source of the virus. And those recriminations continue even through today. It became more intense as President Trump pivoted in the early part of 2020 away from his embrace of President Xi towards a more confrontational stand with China over COVID and a number of other issues. A couple of other impacts I think that we've seen, which are really notable, I think it's exacerbated inequality in the world. I think it's exacerbated inequality within countries and between countries. 
I think we see it in the United States and in the developed world, especially where we have our population experiencing the crisis in very, very different ways. And we've had the so-called K-shaped recovery, which I think accurately describes the experiences of people in a lot of the developed world, where one group of citizens are able to continue their work without interruption because they're able to work remotely. And large pieces of the population or elements of the population are people who are in businesses and services and professions where they have to interact with the public. And those individuals have experienced a very different crisis. And of course, it's the same between countries. I fear that we'll see poverty increases as a result of this increase in inequality. I think that the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund have pointed to significant reductions in poverty eradication, which is one of the great accomplishments in the world in the last 20 years. And I think you'll see a fallback for the first time since the late 1990s. And it really has also rewired globalization in terms of, again, reflecting this bifurcation. Supply chains have seen their users look to more resilience as opposed to efficiency. And I think you see both the United States and China working to limit the cost of interdependence and move towards more self-sufficiency vis-a-vis each other. So a lot of big impacts, I think, as a result of COVID. So there's a lot to unpack in there, and there are a couple of themes, including around U.S.-China, that I want to come back to in a little bit. But just to circle back to the United States, what about the broader set of 100-day priorities for President Biden? Yeah, I think, Teddy, that the first priority for President Biden's administration has to be COVID. Hmm. The United States moving towards competently addressing the COVID crisis is the sine qua non of a successful administration for President Biden both on the domestic front and on the national security front. Why do I say that? I say that because it's essential, obviously, in terms of getting better health outcomes in the United States. It's essential in terms of economic recovery. We've seen in China, for example, where they have been able to get control of the COVID crisis, that their economy is the only large economy in 2022 have grown. But critically, it's important, I think, for America's image in the world and for its ability to operate and have influence and prestige in the world. You know, one of the most important aspects of the American kind of posture in the world since World War II, and maybe before, has been this can-do attitude in the United States, incompetence. Mm. Confidence has been an essential element of American power in the world. And that has taken a big blow during the course of the COVID crisis in the United States and through the election as well, frankly, through 2020. So I think that this has to be, both from a national security perspective and a domestic perspective, the most important priority for President Biden and his administration. And I think you'll see them address it that way. This reestablishment of American confidence is a really, really important thing for the United States to reestablish and show its ability to snap back and again, engage public policy problems in a competent way. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a number of things which the administration has indicated that it's going to pursue very early during the administration. There'll be a large public investment package, which I hope will include substantial infrastructure investment. That's an interesting one, Teddy in terms of bipartisanship. Hmm. And I say that because that's one where I think you could get Republican support for a Democratic initiative that was really aimed here at increasing our competitiveness in the world, Hmm. increasing our ability to meet the China challenge. A number of things have come forward, right? Rejoin the Paris Accord, reversing the Muslim ban, a 100-day mask challenge, right? Hmm. Challenging every American to wear masks and with mandates in the case of interstate travel and on federal property extending the nationwide eviction 
and foreclosure bans. Mm -hmm. And also, I think you'll see a move forward with an immigration program. So I think there'll be a large number of initiatives, and they'll be in the form of executive orders, regulatory proposals, legislative proposals, Mm -hmm. policy statements, and national security actions, foreign policy actions like joining Paris. But it is all relying on getting COVID under control. Hmm. So you mentioned how that's not just a domestic priority, but it's the top foreign policy priority is getting COVID under control. Yes. Let's turn to the broader foreign policy agenda beyond COVID. President Trump was a disruptive presence on the international stage, but he seemed to tap into some real grievances and some kind of underlying trends around skepticism on trade, growing tensions between the U.S. and China. So how much of a change will we see in the foreign policy approach of the United States under a Biden administration? You know, some analysts, I think, are wrong when they say that there'll be more continuity than change. I think there'll be significant change. Hmm. There'll be a change in the dynamic of the way that President Biden approaches foreign policy. President Trump, as you said, Teddy, was a distinct departure from the way the United States had approached foreign policy since World War II. Hmm. And Biden, I think, will return to a number of those key precepts in terms of American leadership. He'll seek to be reliable predictable, and provide a modicum of stability to our approach to international relations. You know, President Biden is well-known to the world. I don't think we've had a president in a long time who has this much foreign policy experience or who has spent this much time with world leaders. And he has good relationships around the world. His team does too. It'll be more multilateral in its approach than unilateral. I think there's been a judgment made in the Biden team that, for example, the unilateral approach to the trade issues with China has not been a success for the United States. But in fact, we see the numbers now that China's actually trade in the world has actually increased. It has the highest trade surplus it's had in its history, I think. You'll see allies first. That's going to be a distinct departure. Hmm. I think that you'll see a real change in the tenor and tone of relationships with Europe. Biden is a committed Atlanticist. His secretary of state, Tony Blinken, spent part of his youth growing up in Europe and is well known in Europe and I think understands the importance of allies. So I think you'll see early summits between President Biden and European allies and also Asian allies. This, of course, is a sharp contrast in practice from where President Trump was. I think the personal relationships between leaders and President Biden would be distinctly different than they were with President Trump. So I think there's going to be significant change uh, in the approach of the United States to foreign policy. Great. So let's turn to one of the issues you identified at the outset as kind of a critical trend shaping the globe and being accelerated by the pandemic. And that's the relationship between the U.S. and China. So how do you think we'll see the U.S. policy toward China evolve under a Biden administration? Number one, this is obviously the most difficult and challenging foreign policy and security issue for the new administration. And it will be the most important issue in the national security realm for the United States for a long time to come. The dynamics have changed pretty dramatically between the United States and China over the last four years. There have been fundamental rethinks and judgments made on both sides. I think there's been structural change. Trust levels have diminished dramatically. The Chinese economy has been reoriented as a result. I think both sides are trying to limit the cost of interdependence. The United States has acted and is moving, continues to act to protect its lead in areas like technology. There has been a managed decoupling, which is underway. Kevin Rudd, the former prime minister of Australia, who's a real China expert, China hand, has said that structural competition is now baked into the relationship. Mm. And I think that's fair. The other thing I think I can offer here is this. 
I think that President Xi in China believes they emerged stronger coming out of COVID after enormous challenges. President Xi and his leadership was strongly embraced by a recent set of leadership meetings and policy meetings in China with a lot of allusions and comparisons between him and Mao. And China, of course, has come out on the economic side stronger than any other major economies in the world. Next, I think I'd say that the basic competitive posture, if you will, between the United States and indeed intense rivalry is not going to change hmm. under Biden administration. I think that that core posture will remain the same. Now, the tenor, tone, I think that the approach to diplomacy, you know, looking for areas of cooperation, a more comprehensive look at the strategy and a skilled look at the areas of cooperation, that'll all be there, but the overall tone won't change. Next is that I think you'll see a pause and review of a number of the steps that President Trump has taken with respect to sanctions and tariffs Mm. and other actions that have been taken by the Trump administration in order to do an assessment as to their impact and the right way to go forward. And also, I think, exercise in looking for leverage in the relationship as well, which President Biden has referred to in interviews. Next, I think, is that there'll be a big difference in terms of allies. The Biden team said during the course of the campaign that they would have an allied and partners approach to China with respect, especially, but not limited to economic issues. And I think that we'll see that going forward. I think you'll see more emphasis on human rights. If you've been following Jake Sullivan's Twitter account, Jake is the new national security advisor for President Biden. Hmm. Jake is the youngest national security advisor to a president of the United States since McGeorge Bundy in 1961 to Jack Kennedy. Hmm. And he's going to be a very important figure in the Biden administration. And most of his tweets have been about human rights. It's been interesting to watch that pattern. I think you'll see climate come to the fore as not just with respect to China, but with respect to the world generally. Although the overall posture, I think, will remain similar in terms of really the bipartisan agreement in the United States that the United States needs to undertake this challenge seriously, right? And using all the elements of government, national power, and international relationships and alliances that we have. Although that's the overall posture remains the same, I think you'll see along the lines they laid out here, a very different approach. So Tom, you mentioned that climate's going to be a priority, not just in the US-China relationship, but also more broadly for the Biden administration. So walk us through what changes you're expecting this year and for the administration to focus on relating to climate. And in general, what tools does Biden have at his disposal to drive his climate agenda? First of all, this will be obviously a very big change between the Trump administration and the Biden administration. And indeed, President Biden has indicated that he intends to make it a centerpiece in his overall approach, both to domestic and foreign policy. That is manifested, by the way, in the choice of personnel, where we have Secretary Kerry, former Secretary of State, under President Obama coming back to being the international climate envoy for President Biden. And although he's going to be based at the State Department, he's also been named a member of the cabinet and a member of the so-called National Security Council principles. So he'll be at the table on all the discussions that are going on with respect to national security and foreign policy. Also at the National Economic Council, we have Brian Deese as the director of the National Economic Council. And Brian is obviously well known to us and he has led a really major international effort on sustainable investing. He was also in the last part of the Obama administration, the person who headed up the effort to secure the Paris Climate Accords. Gina McCarthy, who's a former 
EPA administrator is going to be in the White House heading up an office of domestic climate change in the White House. So, I mean, a tremendous concentration of personnel focused on this, which underscores it's important as a priority. The United States is now joining what has been building as a consensus in the world with respect to addressing climate change, with most of the major economies in the world committing themselves to achieving a carbon neutrality by the middle of the century, China by 2060. So it's a very big deal. It's kind of brought it to center stage. It's joined an international consensus, stacked by really sophisticated and skilled personnel. And it's going to be in the middle, I think, of a number of policy initiatives that the Biden administration is going to pursue. And I think there'll be a lot of that here mm-hmm. in terms of affirmative regulatory stress, but also reversing a number of the steps that the Trump administration took in this area. There may also be changes in the position that the government's taking in legal cases. Mm-hmm. There are legislative proposals, I think, that'll go forward. That's obviously more difficult than the regulatory side. Mm-hmm. And we have the international side where, as I said, Secretary Kerry will undertake that effort. And that'll begin with two things. The United States will rejoin the Paris Climate Accords. And number two, a major effort led by Secretary Kerry over the next eight months to bring a significant package of commitments to the so-called COP26 conference, the Paris Accords Review Conference, Mm. to be held this November in Glasgow, Scotland. So that's an outline of the range of things I think that the Biden administration will do. So as investors, how should we think about the impact of Biden's climate agenda on the financial sector in particular? I think two ways. One is that the Biden administration will seek to bring substantial investment into climate transition. Mm. And it's interesting that you even saw that in the COVID relief package that was passed at the end of the Trump administration Mm. in the last Congress, where there was between 30 and 40 billion dollars of investment in the climate area and energy area. It was the most significant climate energy package since the recovery package in 2009 in the Obama years. So there's some momentum here. There is tremendous investment opportunity in this global move Mm. towards public support for building private partnerships to support the climate transition. And we've seen that, by the way, obviously, in BlackRock's business, where we've had really substantial increases in funds coming in sustainable investing. Secondly, I'd point out on the regulatory front that we were talking about earlier, I think from financial services perspective, we're likely to see the Biden administration use financial regulation as a tool in pursuing its climate goals. Mm. You could see, for example, Secretary Yellen making this a top priority at the FSOC and directing the financial regulatory agencies to have climate programs. I think you'd see that the SEC, particularly in the case of disclosure, and we're going to have, I think, a strong and active chair of the SEC and Gary Gensler. You could see it at the Fed, where I wouldn't be surprised to see the Fed move towards having a climate-related stress test. So I think in each of the areas of financial regulation, that will see substantial initiatives towards climate goals, mm. including this is stress testing and disclosure and transparency moving forward. And this is going to obviously have an impact on the direction flow and reallocation of capital. Mm. You mentioned how regulation is going to be a key tool for Biden to achieve his climate priorities, but we're also hearing a lot about regulation around technology. Talk to us about what you think the outlook is for greater regulatory scrutiny of technology companies. And also, what is Biden's overall technology agenda going to look like? 
You know, a couple of things. Technology generally is going to be a very big focus on the national security side. Hmm. People have called for a new Sputnik moment, a time when the United States was challenged by the Soviet Union in the area of technology with the launch of the Sputnik mission and moved at that time towards establishing a number of institutions that are still with us today, NASA, DARPA, big changes in education, how we taught math and physics. A number of those things are still with us as initiatives Mm. and a lot of investment in research and development. I think you'll see a similar analysis underway in the Biden administration of national strategies for addressing R&D and key technologies. There's a new director at the National Security Council called the Cyber and Emerging Technologies Directorate which is going to be headed by Ann Neuberger, who headed the National Security Agency Cyber Security Directorate. I think it's going to be a significant priority there. Generally, technology is going to become much more front and center. Mm-hmm. And you also see that he announced a new science team in the White House and gave them a really precise set of directions on looking at emerging technologies. Science technology is going to be much more back front and center, particularly in the competitive aspects that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Now, technology regulation, which you asked about specifically, I think that there's a lot of momentum for a serious review, particularly the social media platforms. And I think that review was given a significant impetus as a result of the events at the end of the transition. Mm. And I think you've seen a number of Democrats and Republicans call for a very close look at technology. So I don't think it's really debatable at this point. Now, these are hard issues. Mm. They're difficult to deal with. But I don't think there's any doubt that there will be a significant look at the role of technology in our democracy pushed forward by the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. You've heard President Biden talk about that during the course of the campaign a number of times, and I think it's going to be a significant regulatory focus. Okay, so Tom, I want to end with a rapid-fire round going around the globe. We've talked about a number of geopolitical issues with you on the bid over the past year, so let's revisit a few of them really quickly and think about the outlook for 2021. Are you ready? Yep. Go ahead. Okay. Here we go. So Iran, what's the outlook there? I think that the administration will seek to rejoin and reenter the nuclear deal, the so-called JCPOA, the nuclear deal between Iran and the international community. It may take some time to get there. There are real challenges, including Iran's behavior. But the Europeans and others very much want the United States to come back into the deal. And I think the United States will seek to come back into that deal as a baseline that can build on and do additional Accords going forward, addressing things that weren't addressed in that deal, such as Iran's behavior in the region and ballistic missiles. Hmm. And in fact, if they do rejoin the Iran deal, that'll have some impact on the supply of oil going into 2022. Okay. North Korea. Very difficult issue and remains so. I think you could see provocations from leader Kim Jong-un going forward here. And I think the United States will move towards a more multilateral approach to trying to constrain and address the North Korean nuclear problem. The problem has been over the last three years where there's been really no interaction other than these three summits, Hmm. that the program has advanced in almost every regard. Hmm. Okay, Russia. I think a significant change in the attitude of the president of the United States Hmm. with respect to Russia. There's no doubt about that. President Biden has evidenced no sympathy for President Putin. We've gone through four years where President Trump and really one of the most Inexplicable parts of this foreign policy really has never criticized President Putin. Mm-hmm. The administration has taken a number of tougher steps. It's almost been a division between the president's approach on Russia and the government's approach on Russia. I think those will come together mm-hmm. in a Biden administration. I think you'll see a tougher line. And of course, we have just at the end 
the Trump administration, one of the most significant cyber attacks yeah. on the United States and the solar winds attacks, which was attributed to Russia by the intelligence and other services. But really, the administration took no action with respect to that attack. So but I think we're in for a tougher line between the administration, a tougher line by President Biden than you ever saw from President Trump. Tom, thank you so much for joining us on The Bid. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. And we've all learned a lot. Thanks so much. Thank you, Teddy. Thank you very much. On the next episode of our Outlook miniseries, we'll continue the conversation around policy with Jean Bovin, head of the BlackRock Investment Institute. We'll dive deep into our next theme, the new nominal. And as a reminder, send us any ideas or feedback at thebid at blackrock.com. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the U.K., this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited, authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, registered office 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N 2DL, telephone plus 44020. 7743-3000. Registered in England and Wales, number 202-0394. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. BlackRock is a trading name of BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited, co-registration number 2000-10143N. In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited, ABN 13-006-165-975-AFSL-230-523, BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund. No securities regulators in Latin America have confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the Investment Services Guide, available at www.blackrock.com.
Copyright 2019, BlackRock, Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock, Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.